and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Today, the church at ancient Laodicea was spiritually lukewarm. It was also useless because it had plenty of fake Christians in it. Today, we'll consider three tables. Your heart's table, Christ's communion table, and the marriage supper of the Lamb's table, which will be at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. Will you notice that true zeal produces true repentance. When we take God seriously and want most what God wants for us, salvation and forgiveness and holiness, when we take that position of a zeal, then it issues forth into repentance. It issues forth into decisions to hate sin that we once loved, to go away from sin that we once chased. They go together and they're both in the aorist tense. I've taught you before, the aorist tense in Greek means a decisively completed action. Jesus Christ was calling the Laodiceans, and he's calling you and me to decisively decide to be zealous for him. And then to decisively decide to be repentant of our sins. When I married Beth Wisenhunt on August the 6th, 1983, we both made a decisive commitment to be zealous in love for only each other until one of us dies. And out of that zealous Decisive decision to marry all these 30 years, we both have been repenting of living for ourselves and not for Jesus and the other person. Decisive decisions. Have you made a decision to be zealous for Jesus? Have you made a decisive decision after you've decided to be zealous for him to be repentant of sin, not to excuse it, not to rationalize it, not to hide it, to turn from it? to turn to holiness. Now, what was the prospect for that useless, lukewarm, dangerous church in Laodicea? Well, in verse 18, Jesus tells them, you can become truly rich through Christ's gold. You can become truly clothed through Christ's garments. You can get true vision through Christ's eye medicine. You can move from being wretched <laughs> to being forgiven. So can you this morning if you've never been moved from being wretched to being forgiven. And verse 20 is such a profound verse. Jesus, the Lord of the church, the Lord of the universe, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. What an amazing idea that the Lord of all is politely standing at the door of a church, the door of individual Christians' hearts, knocking. Amazing. Reminds me of the father of the prodigal son. Do you remember as the prodigal ran away from home with his inheritance and squandered it on wild living? And then he came back. And do you remember what happened? When he was far away on the horizon, the father noticed his runaway son coming home. And what did the father do? He ran to meet his son who was coming home. That's a picture of God the Father. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. You may be in a faraway country. You may be deep in sin, addictive sin this morning, but Jesus is knocking. He wants to come into your heart and change you, forgive you, 
Not only does he want to do that, he says, if you'll let him in, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. He promises that. Not I might come into him if he cleans himself up. I will come into him and I will dine with him. Think of that picture. You come, you hear a knock on your heart's door, you open the door, and Jesus says, I'd like to come in. And you open the door and he comes in. And you have a table with a simple meal that you were enjoying in your heart on the table. And he accepts it. (laughs) He wants to come to your table. And he sits with you and he communes with you and he cares for you and he reassures you and he forgives you. And then he says... I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Reminds me of the little boy who was there at the scene when they, Jesus fed four to 5,000 people, not counting women and children, and used the little boy's sack lunch. Jesus was knocking that day on the little boy's heart, and the little boy said, I've got us some loaves and fishes. Gave them to Jesus' disciples. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus opens the lunch, says, this will do. When he comes to live inside you, he won't criticize what's on the table that you have to offer him. If you're like the little boy to offer the bread and the fish, he'll take it. He'll multiply it. He'll use it. But he's got to come in. And he won't barge in. You have to invite him in. And then once he comes to your table and he accepts the fare that you have on your table, which is modest and meager, like the little boy's loaf and fish, then he says, I will dine with him and he with me. Not only will Jesus accept our meager things on the table of our hearts, but he will give us everything that is his as a grace. He fed four to 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with a bag lunch. He'll take what you give to him, and he'll multiply it, and he'll use it in a miraculous way, in a wonderful way. Will you let him? You see, there are three tables that I want to leave you with. There's a table of your heart. Each of your hearts has a table. Jesus knocks, so come to that table. And you let him in as you're saved, as you trust him to be your savior. And he sits with you at your table, and he takes what you have to offer him, and he'll multiply and use it and and bless it for his glory and for your good. But then there's this table. This table is set for everybody who's heard Jesus knocking at their heart's door and has invited him in, and he's been sitting at your table this week. He's been sitting at your table since the day you trusted Christ to be your Savior. This table is set for those who already have let Jesus sit at their tables. It's a memorial table. It remembers what he's done for us to make salvation possible. But there's a third table. In Revelation 19, verse 9, it talks about the marriage, feast, or supper of the Lamb. At the second coming event of Christ, a table is set on earth that must be a long table because all the redeemed of all the ages are seated at this marriage supper of the Lamb's table. And for a thousand years, while Jesus rules and reigns planet earth in righteousness, we sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Will you be part of that? Well, you will be if you can come to this table with integrity, and you'll come to this table with integrity if you truly open the heart's door of your life and let Jesus come inside of you to take over and to sit at your table. Seems to me the takeaway this morning, church, is either to open the door of our heart if we've never been saved, or if we have been saved, 
to announce to as many people as possible that the Lord Jesus is knocking on the door of their hearts. Do you remember the person you wrote down two Sundays ago that you would try to share Christ with in the following week? How's it going? Could you pick up on that challenge today and ask the Lord to open the door for you to share the gospel with that person before next Sunday? Sure we could. Jesus Christ knocks on the heart of individuals. If you've opened the door by faith, he's at your table. Give him your loaves and fishes for him to use and come to this table with gratitude and expect the millennial table of his marriage feast supper. If you haven't opened the door yet, wait on taking these elements until you trust Jesus and have him at the table of your heart. Trust him. He's either knocking at your heart's door or he's telling you to tell others he's knocking at their doors. Lord Jesus, we thank you and shall for all eternity that you want to commune with us, that you would knock on our door as a gentleman. Lord, I pray that if any are here with religion but without Jesus, they would open the door of their heart and know that he will come in and will dine with them and them with him. Lord, for those of us who know this Savior and he's seated at the table of our hearts, we pray that we would live like he is and tell others as many as possible that he's knocking on their hearts' doors. May this be a week, Lord, of seeing people transfer their trust to Christ and be born again. May there be new baby Christians here next Lord's Day that we bring that we've had the joy of leading to Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, and today we're going to continue on Jesus and stuff. And as you remember last week, we talked in Matthew 6, 19, it said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. As we can see in those verses that we talked about last week, where we, where we treasure is where our heart is. And that's what we give the most to. And today we want to continue talking about Jesus and stuff. And today's lesson we want to talk about, as Jesus says, follow me, believe your stuff. And I think that too many times in life, we look at the Christian life and we look at there's a bunch of rules and we look at once we keep these rules, we are in good standing with God. But today we want to look at it. Jesus challenges a rich man exactly on living a moral life. He says, you know, it's not about living a moral life, but it's about following me. And it's about giving up your possessions. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. And it says this, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18 said, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. And I want to just stop there for a second. I want us to understand something. A lot of young people today will say, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. You know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I've never had sex before marriage. I'm in good standing with God. You know, I don't make a practice of stealing. I don't lie. You know, we could go list on and on and on. And we talk about living this moral life, this religious life, where we think that we have it all together because we haven't broken the Ten Commandments. 
But the reality is, is that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is not just pleased with us living a moral life. He wants our life. He wants to use us. And he wants to be honored in all that we do. You see, just like the rich young ruler here, we see exactly as Jesus questions him about being good. The Bible is very clear for us that in Romans 3, it says, there is none good, no, not one. And I think too many times in life, we think that we can live a moral life and we can be in right standing with people and, and people will think, oh, well, you're a good person. You're a moral person. You're a great person. But in reality, Jesus is not satisfied with just those things. Jesus is satisfied with wanting us. He wants all of us. He doesn't want just to follow the rules and, and that we stay in line, but he really wants our lives to bring honor and glory to him. And Jesus continues, as we see in this Mark chapter 10, verse 20, he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And I want to stop there because I think so many times today as we consider this verse, there are people who will tell you that this is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to go and sell our possessions and, and, so, and give the money to the church, and that's what he wants. But this is not what this is talking about. This is talking about Jesus is not concerned about his possessions and wanting the money. Jesus is concerned about his life. Jesus is concerned about his heart. And Jesus attacks him right what, what is most important to him, and that is his possessions. As it said, Jesus looking at him. Jesus loved him and said, you lack one thing. It didn't say you lacked following my commandments. It didn't say you lacked, you know, doing what I want you to do. It said this, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. As the question becomes, how do you inherit eternal life? The question, it is this, is that we need to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. It's not just a matter of just saying, well, once I sell my stuff or I give away my stuff, then God wants me. No, no. It's a, it's a step to that. We need to follow him. And he wants all of us. And he wants us to recognize that, you know, when we have all these possessions and these possessions consume us, this is exactly what's happened in the story that these possessions consumed him. And he looked around and, and, and Jesus said, this is the one thing that you're lacking because you're so consumed with all that you have that you don't see me, that you don't see the importance of following me because you have so much. And yet, you know, people are suffering around you and they don't have anything. So what I want you to do is I want you to sell and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Verse 22, but he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Again, we see the importance here. We see as, as Jesus hits him at the core, at his heart, and Jesus does this to us so many times. Jesus, we, we, we say that we have, you know, we can do all these right things, but here it is, Jesus hitting him at the core and he's saying, you know, this is what I want you to do. This is the one thing I want you to do. But we see at the rich man, it, it, it hurt him. It made him grieve. It made him angry because for him, he thought to himself, well, you know what? I have it all together. I, I've done all these right things. But Jesus hit an idol in his life. And the idol was his possessions. What about you? What about me? What is it that we hold on to? What is the, the stuff in our lives that get in the way of us giving all to Jesus? To say that we surrender everything to him. What is it? You know, I think too many times in our lives, again, we, we consider... You know, we keep all these commandments. We're moral people. And, you know, we think once we do that, we're, we're fine and we're, we're good standing with God. But God wants so much more from us. He wants us to, to understand in our lives that 
is not about, you know, just following our set of rules. It's about surrendering our lives to him. And I want to ask you, do you love God? Do you truly love him and say, you know what? I want to follow him no matter what. I want to follow him no matter what I have to give up. You see, God may be calling you as a young person this morning and say, I would love for you to go in the mission field. And you may think, be thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I don't have a lot to give. Well, the reality is you have a lot to give because you have yourself to give. You know, and I think too many times we may think to ourselves with just possessions and we may say, well, I don't have the money. But hopefully if this is what God wants you to do, he is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you. And I think too many times in our lives we make excuses and we put God in a box and we say, you know what? There's no way this can happen. But as we consider this passage, as we consider what this is saying, we need to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. You see, we, we sing a song as we grew up in Sunday school, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I want to challenge you this morning, if you're listening to this, whatever age you are, that you would understand that whatever God has called you to give up, that you would just continue to, to leave that behind and focus on him and focus on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and realize that God wants this relationship with you. So I would challenge you this morning, if you've never accepted Christ, that you would leave everything behind. And as Jesus said in this passage, that you would follow him because that's what he wants. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want you to live a moral life, but he wants you to follow him and leave all the stuff behind. And now today's personal God story. This is Drew Fowler. Um, always attended Calvary Bible Church here on number 62 Collins Avenue. I have grown up in a Christian house. My, my father was a Sunday school teacher and a Awana teacher and leader. My mother also was an Awana leader and sang in the choir. Uh, so I grew up hearing about the gospel my entire life. And I think it wasn't until I was about seven or eight years old that I seriously considered Christ. It was a Tuesday night. I'll never forget. I was coming to pick up my dad with my mom from Moana. And I was thinking about my parents' lifestyle and how they lived. And I noticed that there was something markedly different about their lives compared to my own. Uh, something that they had that I didn't. Something beautiful. So I remember telling my mom, Mom, I, I want to be a Christian. I think she sensed that uh, I didn't know exactly what, what I was asking for. So she told me I should speak to my dad that night, and we, we all talked about it. And he would have opened up the Bible to me and explained, Drew, you're a sinner, and you are, you've fallen short of the glory of God, and that I need to place faith in Christ. And he would have explained that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life um, that qualified him to actually be our representative on the cross. So he would have gone to the cross, he would have died to pay the penalty for my sins. Um, God the Father rose him from the dead to prove that he accepted Jesus' death on my behalf. And that if I had placed faith in him as his person and his finished work, that I would be saved. And intellectually at that point I said, I, I think I understand because there's something different about you guys that I don't have. And that night I would have placed faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember the next day my dad came to me and said, hey, you missed the party last night at Iwana. And I said, no, what, what happened? So he told me, every time a believer comes to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. And I said, wow, that, that was so cool. And I said, where did you find that? So he told me that was in the Bible. Uh, I think that's Luke chapter 15. So that was my first serious moment of contemplating Christianity. I was in high school. 
probably lived a seemingly good life, good kid, always behaved well. So everyone would say, hey, if they looked at me, they would probably think I was um, a very godly individual, but I wasn't growing spiritually because I wasn't in the word. And it's now only that I look back over my life and see it's only through the study of the word that I'm, I'm made more holy, that I, that I grow in the faith. Um, thinking of a passage in First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, where it says, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And I think that's something that my parents had that I didn't realize at the time. Um, I just realized that as a kid that my parents were different than me, but I didn't see the, how, how it came about. I didn't know how it came about, and I just assumed it was Christ, and it was Christ. But how he did that, I wasn't sure of the practical application of my life. So I started doing Bible studies with my dad, and he, he showed me scripture and shows that it actually has power, real power to change the way I think. Um, there's a passage that talks about uh, God granting people the gift of repentance. Repentance is that change in thought that leads to a change in lifestyle, and that doesn't just usually happen by some sort of uh, osmosis where you just wake up, hey, I'm going to change, but uh, that's that's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit where he convict me uh, with his word to to grow by, by changing my thoughts um, in response to him. So my dad would have been really fundamental in that, as well as other believers uh, here at Calvary Bible Church. Um, like I said, I've, I've gone here my entire life, and I've seen men and women who have been serving all my life, all that, as long as I can remember. Um, so right now I'm, I'm doing teleos classes um, where Pastor Lee teaches us scripture, teaches us how to study the Bible for ourselves so we can grow in the faith, so we can share. And also just keeping good godly company. I've always kept company that was good, um, but hanging out with believers is, is different um, because we actually encourage each other. Um, and there's, there's also people there to keep me accountable. I know of a number of men who can keep me accountable in my, my thought life and what I do. Uh, I think that's also important too. So if you haven't seriously considered uh, Christianity, I uh, just want to say don't, don't think about it in terms of um, am I more holy than John or Frank or anyone else. Christianity is about sanctification as well. It's not just I'm saved from, from hell, but am I being more holy today than I was before. So if you are a Christian already and you said, hey, I place faith in Christ, I'm saved, done deal. That, that's not the right way to look at it. You should be thinking, am I more holy today than I was before? Am I more like Christ today than I was before? And if you can't really honestly say that, then just, just examine yourself uh, to see if you really are in the faith. And if you haven't placed faith in Jesus Christ, I implore you to, to keep looking, uh, look at the Bible, Search the scripture. Don't. Uh, I always hear a lot of times uh, people say, "You Christians are hypocrites," uh, but but don't judge a, a worldview by its abuses or its uh, its vices. But look at the content of what it teaches, and the person Jesus Christ is profound, astounding. Uh, if you look at him, what he said, what he did, I think you'll you'll come to Christ. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions. 
which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Lania's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. The question for this morning that I'm going to try to answer is, if the Bible is God-breathed, why did it say in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye, and in the New Testament tells us to love our neighbor? And are these not contradictions? My answer would be, uh, for the same reason that we have a communion table and not a butchering altar at the front of a church sanctuary, for the same reason we bring Bibles and not lambs under our arms to church, because the Bible is a progressive revelation. God's will is progressively revealed to us as we read Genesis through to Revelation. One way to put it is that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. The eye for an eye quote comes from the old covenant called the Mosaic Law. And the love your neighbor as yourself quote comes from the new covenant. We call it grace. These are not contradictory. Actually, they are complementary. The law points us to our need of grace, and the law shows us that we need Christ. But one more thing. Even with the new covenant of grace, the New Testament still teaches capital punishment. Apparently, some of the aspects of the law are timeless. They are not eclipsed by Christ or grace. And capital punishment is one such aspect of the law of God. You can see that in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.